Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 105 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host Joey Coastman. I'm joined as always by Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good Joey, how are you? Very good my friend, very good. So if you've joined us before you know what to expect. Part 1 of course is the review part where we talk about the fights from last week and then we will also bring in one guest which will be our first guest um, before before part one ends and then in part two we will talk about the fights coming up this weekend in what we call the preview part and then of course we will close out the show um, with another guest a second guest and that will wrap up part two and that will wrap up what we've got in store for you this week it's the same as as every week really i'm just explaining that to the first time listeners that may or may not be with us right now so um yeah let's start with the review and of course there's a few things to go over there was two shows um, that I actually went to last week. I was on. Uh, I was at one on Friday. I was at one on Saturday. But before we go on to those dates, there there was a card that happened on Thursday, the twelfth of October. Just one fight to mention over in France. Um, even Mendy, thirty-eight and four with one draw, moved to thirty-nine and four with one draw. A ten-round unanimous decision against Florian Montels, a man I didn't know really too much about. Moving over now to the roller world in Derby, Derbyshire, United. Kingdom, Jordan Gill moved to 18 and 0. He had his man down twice um, in that fight, but it was a six-round points win for Jordan Gill. So uh, his opponent was Rafael Castillo. His record was 14 and 34. He's now 14 and 35. He's got three draws. Also, that's uh, you know a bit of a journeyman there. I want to see Jordan Gill step up a little bit now. Uh, moving over now to York Hall, this was the JD Next Gen card, I was there in attendance for this one, London of course, the uh, the Mecca of Boxing, I really do love a York Hall card, and what I've got to say about this card in particular is, um, every time I go to York Hall, there's there's always one unbelievable fight, and you know, I was waiting for the fight to happen, because the fights weren't... I mean, they were okay, but there wasn't really any barn burners, and it literally left the barn burner till last. So, um, you know, it really put the cherry on top of the cake there for me, um, you know, to, to, to end the night with such a brilliant fight that we will talk about in just a moment. Um, starting on this bill, Harlem Eubank moved to 2-0. and It's the first time I've seen him fight. Um, that was quite, you know, he had a, he had a quite exciting style, really, like... Um, you know he's got he's got the name Eubank of course he was he was showboating he did a front flip over the ropes I think he did a back flip at the end of the fight um, he managed to win a points uh, points win over four rounds against an unbeaten fighter called Michael Green who was two and zero so Harlem Eubank now moves to two and zero himself um, Michael Green now two and one it was a decent performance you know he was uh, 
you know, very flashy. Um, you know, he, he's got a lot of swagger about his work, really. But no, he was good. He he was actually really good. Um, you know, it's, 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 it was promising stuff to see from someone who's only 1-0, let's not forget. Chris Eubank Jr. was there in attendance. He was sitting right behind me, so much so that I took a selfie and he basically accidentally photobombed it. Um, that was that was funny. Uh, that's it from uh, from that one. Moving over now to Natasha Jonas, the uh, the beauty and the beast in one, I call her. She moved to 3-0. It was a TKO in round three against Mariana Goulias, who uh, had a record of 14 and 26, now 14 and 27. But apparently she'd, I haven't looked at her record, but apparently she'd actually challenged for a world title and also challenged for a European title. Now, she was absolutely awful. She was absolutely awful to the point where people ringside, who I didn't even know, were sitting next to me. And I was talking to some people that I did know, and people were saying, you know, they were jumping in our conversation to say, this is really bad. I mean, this is terrible. I mean, you know, someone, and I'm not going to name who, but someone said this could possibly be the worst fighter that's ever fought in New York Hall over all the years, because it cannot be much worse than this. This woman, I feel really sorry for her. You know, she came and took an absolute paste in, and like I say, she was stopped in that third round, she didn't need to go six, nobody wanted to see that, she was down a couple of times, she was just absolutely terrible, she had no defence at all, she was taking punches flush, um, you know, she she was just absolutely terrible, honestly, I, I don't even understand how she could have ever been in contention to fight for a title, she was so bad, she couldn't defend herself, her guard was just terrible, I think maybe a three or four year old kid could have probably hit her through her guard, it was terrible, her punches were falling like miles short, she was just taking back hands repeatedly, she didn't move her head, she was just, I cannot express how bad this woman was, and I know, I'm not trying to, you know, have a go at women's boxing, I've said this a few times, you know, I'm in support of that, if they want to do it, it's fine, you know, a level playing field, but this was absolutely horrible to watch. You know, it was it was hard to watch, and I was just glad when they waved it off because it was it was just terrible. I mean, give the woman credit; she's obviously tough. I hope she got paid a decent amount, though I doubt she did. But no, she you know she didn't want it to stop, and she's obviously a bit of a warrior. And after the fight, she came out and ended up sitting in about six or seven rows back, just watching the rest of the of the night's action. But um. Yeah, that wasn't entertainment at all. That that was horrible to watch. Uh, also on the bill, Ted Cheeseman. He moved to eleven and zero with a KO in round five against a man who was twenty and nine with one draw. So that's a bit of a step up there. But to be honest, I didn't really know much about this guy, and I I don't really know how to pronounce that name. I think it was a late um, opponent confirmation. I think it was a, a little bit of a late one there, a little bit last minute. Um, William Weber, he was 1-0, and I think he's had quite an extensive amateur career, uh, he took on a guy called Eric Israel, who was making his debut, so it was a bit of a strange one, because I remember seeing William Weber, he's a Southpaw, I remember seeing him make his debut a few weeks ago, and I thought, oh, he's out, you know, pretty quickly, again, in his second fight here, and, um... Yeah, he you know he came out. He's he's technically quite good, and Eric Israel, who again we'd never seen nothing of. I don't think he had any amateur background whatsoever. And the story behind him is, he basically came to the UK from Africa just to go to uni, and he wound up in a boxing gym. And I think he was kind of inspired and motivated, and decided to just take up a bit of boxing, and. Um, 
his family back in Africa because he literally lives in the UK and he's, he's, he's got no family, no friends over here, nothing. His family back in Africa have got no idea that he's taken up boxing at all. And he actually obviously fought here, made his debut and ended up knocking out prospect William Weber in the second round. Uh, sorry, in the third round. And he had him down in the second round. Um, now, what actually happened here is, I don't know... For those that may have seen it, may have not seen it, I'm just going to tell you what I saw. Basically, William Webber was probably winning that second round, and then he got knocked down. It was a really, really short hook. I think it may have been a right hook or something like that, and he just got put down, and unfortunately, he lost that round 10-8. Now, coming out in the third round, there was a moment where the referee called break, and when he called break, William Webber wasn't defending himself, and... Um, Eric Israel threw a big punch and it kind of stumbled um, it kind of stumbled William Webber now the referee jumped in told Eric Israel off a little bit but he didn't actually give William Webber enough time to recuperate he waved it straight back on now 10 seconds later Eric Israel drops William Webber to his knees but William Webber jumps straight back up but in the rule book of course if you you know if you go down on a knee or your your gloves touch the canvas, I think maybe both of those things happened in this in this situation. Once that the you know the boxer gets back up, the referee jumps in and gives him a ten count. Okay, that did not happen. He jumped straight back up. The referee uh, he was just terrible. I can't remember his name. He's an old guy with grey hair. It, you know he's barely got any hair. He's I've seen him a few times make make mistakes. This was awful. Um, like I say, when he tried to stop the fight before, when he said stop boxing and, you know, when he called break, um, you know, in the first time when, when, when Eric Israel landed a punch when he shouldn't have, I was actually watching him when I got home. I watched it in, in slow motion and it, instead of jumping in between them with his body, he just waved his hand like he was waving at someone at ringside. You know, a silly little wave of his hand, like a ro- rotation on the wrist. It's no good. That's You know, they're not even going to see that happening, you know? He's an old guy and he's he's just awful. He needs to be, uh, you know, suspended, I think, because this is not the first time. So anyway, he doesn't give William Webber a 10 count, even though he should have. So William Webber jumps straight back up, probably trying to avoid getting another 10-8 round scored against him. But it doesn't matter. The referee should have jumped in. Rules are rules. And then literally, he walks straight onto one and gets brutally, brutally knocked out. Now, firstly, that could have been avoided if he would have given the guy time to recuperate when he was hit when he shouldn't have. That's one thing. But then maybe he would have still got knocked down. That's another thing. Why didn't the referee give him a 10 count? It was just unbelievable bad refereeing. Uh, I feel very sorry for William Webber, but listen, he may have lost the fight anyway. You, you cannot take nothing away from Eric Israel, who really seemed like a real cool guy after the fight. Like I say, you know, he told the story about his, his family doesn't even know he's boxing. He doesn't even really want them to know. So hopefully they don't, you know, type his name into YouTube and see that because it was pretty brutal, that one. Um, but no, a really impressive win for him. I'm really pleased for him. And William Webber, you know, after the great amateur career that he had, it's not looking good for him. One and one after two fights. But that's it for that one. Also moving up the bill now, Isaac Chamberlain proceeded to 9-0. and A TKO in round six against Ozzie Gervier, who was 4-4 four and four going in now, 4-5. and five. Ozzie Gervier actually took Wadi Camacho the distance, if I'm not mistaken. And I think he lost that fight, like, just by a thread, like it was very, very close. Obviously, um, 
you know, Isaac Chamberlain beat Wadi Camacho over over points. Um, so it was good to actually see him stop Aussie Gervier. And Aussie Gervier came into the fight, you know, with late notice. So I've got to give him credit on that one. But also Isaac Chamberlain actually told me after the fight that he arrived to the venue and 30 minutes later he was expected to be in the ring. And I actually said, because he didn't really look right for the first few rounds, in my opinion. He, he kind of took quite a while to get into the fight. And, um, you know, that was what it was. But that's a little inside story there. Of course, he was expecting to fight uh, an unbeaten cruiserweight. And he ended up taking on this guy at short notice who was in good shape. And he, he was a real stubborn guy, Aussie Jervier. He came and gave a good account of himself, to be honest. Now, moving on to the main event. I've just got one thing to say about Isaac Chamber. Yeah, Go on. He's he's a fighter that keeps keeps on improving. Obviously, we've seen him fight now. At the start of his career, right? Yeah, he had what? He's had nine fights, right? At the first four start of his fights, right? He was getting points win. Now he's getting a bit of knockout. Like he's starting to win a lot of his fights by knockouts and TKOs. Every time I see Isaac Chamberlain fight, I always keep seeing he keeps on improving. His defense has gone much better now, yeah, and his ring craft is improving. I tell you what, yeah. Every time Isaac Chamberlain keeps fighting, he keeps on improving. Yeah, I think it's all that world-class sparring he's been doing, obviously. We know that he's been out in Ukraine sparring Usyk. He recently sparred in Ireland against Mike Perez. You know, he's sparred Wilder, he's sparred Joshua, he's sparred just about everybody. That guy really is learning the craft behind closed doors. But now the main event, the, the fight that I told everybody uh, a few moments ago was an absolute barn burner. It was the last fight on, of course, the main event. Jason Cunningham, 23-3, and putting his Commonwealth featherweight title on the line against the undefeated 10-0 Reese Bellotti. Of course, this was undoubtedly Reese Bellotti's toughest test on paper. And, you know, we need to see him stepped up, obviously. This was the step up. And, you know, it, it was it was a hard fight to call because, obviously, Jason Cunningham's no mug. And Reese Bellotti, we hadn't seen him fight at that level despite him looking really good. He's been knocking people out. Um, he's, he's quite an exciting fighter for a featherweight, I suppose. And to be completely honest, the start of the fight, Jason Cunningham was winning hands down. I don't think you could say he won every round up until the sixth. But I think maybe four, you know, four rounds to one. Maybe if you're being quite generous to Bellotti, maybe three rounds to two. Reese Bellotti was, you know, he was his nose was blooded. He... Um, I think that's probably the first time he's been cut, if I'm not mistaken. He, he looked a little bit troubled by the cut. You know, he was he was being beaten up a little bit, to be completely honest. He was he was just you could see who was the you know the more experienced guy in there and Jason Cunningham was being very clever on the night. But in the fifth round, I think I think it was the fifth round, Reese Bellotti dropped him. And that was a massive turning point in the fight because I remember when I was sitting there ringside and again, the atmosphere in York Hall is just second to none. It's probably my favourite boxing venue to go to. Um, so yeah, he uh, you know he dropped him in the fifth round and I thought, wow, this is big when you look at the points because he was down a few rounds and I think that 10-8 that round was, you know, that's that really was, was really helping him out at that stage. And then of course, Jason Cunningham comes out in the sixth round and Reese Bellotti stops him in brutal fashion and the place just erupted. It was, it was just unbelievable. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. You know, every time I go to York Hall, there's always something unbelievable. You've got to kind of pinch yourself. Did that just happen? And that was what it was like. And I came straight home and I watched that fight back 
and I never do that. I never ever actually go to a fight and then rewatch it at home. I just don't have the time. But I did actually watch it back. And to be honest, on TV, I don't think it looked as good as what it felt like being there amongst the atmosphere. So, um, but believe me, it was it was really really good. But I've heard other people that that were watching it on TV say it was really good too. So maybe um, maybe it just wasn't as good second time round because I was there. I don't know, but it was a brilliant brilliant win nonetheless for Reese Bellotti. Um, you know, to come from behind to stop a guy um, in the mid rounds there in brutal brutal fashion. Reese Bellotti now eleven and zero, and he's the new Commonwealth featherweight champion. Jason Cunningham back to the drawing board for him at twenty three and four now. Moving over now to the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. I'm going to try to whiz through this one. Pablo Cesar Cano, 30-6 with one draw going in, took on Marcelino Nicolas Lopez. I don't know nothing about him, but what I do know is he actually upset the apple cart here. A KO in round two for Marcelino Nicolas Lopez, and he stops Pablo Cesar Cano there. Um, it was a bit of a mad two rounds. Lopez was cut on his right eye. Cano was cut on his left eye. Um, that was They were both from, from legal punches there. Um, Carno was down in round two. He beat the count, but he couldn't continue, and he was out on his feet. It was called off. Uh, also on that bill, Fidel Maldonado Jr., 24-3 and three with one draw, took on Ishmael Barroso, a man that we've been not too sure on. How good really is he? Well, he got in there against Maldonado, and he scored a knockout in round six, so a huge upset there in the United States. Two home fighters both beaten by a knockout there. That's a bad night there in the Fantasy Springs Casino. Maldonado was down in round three and down and out from a body shot in round six. So Ishmael Barroso's probably took a little bit of Anthony Crawler's tactics there and uh, started throwing a few powerful body shots. Maldonado was also deducted a point for holding and hitting in round four and he was cut under the right eye from a punch in round five. So um, yeah, it was it was, it was was pretty bad um, early on for Fidel Maldonado Jr. His record now 24-4 and four with one draw and Ishmael Barroso moves to his 20th professional win his record now 20 and 1 with two draws moving over now to queensland australia at the convention and exhibition center one fight to mention over here that went under the radar a little bit um alex leopai he returned to the ring i think maybe from about two years out if i'm not mistaken uh, his record 30 and 7 with three draws he took on thomas pito who was two and five and Thomas Pito was down in round three and out. So a TKO there for Alex Leopai. Moving over now to France once again. There was one fight to mention. We had his promoter on the show last week. Um, Tony Yoka, he moved to... 2-0 with a unanimous decision win over six rounds against Jonathan Rice, who was 7-2 with one draw. Um, also on that bill, I'm, I'm sad to say that... Ahmed Al Masue, who was 26 and 3 with one draw, took on former world champion Carlos Molina, who I do like. He's been on the show before. He's the guy that we had on that bizarre interview, and he, you know, we were talking about his boxing career in America, and he, he you know, he seems so so upset about the fact that he'd been deported to Mexico. That was a mad interview, but he's a good guy, Carlos Molina, but it wasn't his night. He went over to France and lost a unanimous decision over 10 rounds, pretty wide as well. Carlos Molina there at welterweight. Of course, he's the former um, super welterweight champion. He's gone down in weight, but his record now 28-8 and with two draws. It's not really looking too good for him. That might be the end of his road. Moving over now to Germany. 
in a place that I cannot pronounce. Uh, there was one fight to mention over here. Francesco Pianetta, 34-2 with one draw. Pianetta got stopped, I remember, by Vladimir Klitschko for the world title a few years back. He took on Kevin Kingpin Johnson, 31-8 and eight with one draw. It was for the IBO International Heavyweight title. Would you believe it? The Kingpin Kevin Johnson pulls off the upset and TKOs Francesco Pianetta in round seven. It's a mad thing with Kevin Johnson. You really don't know which version of him is going to turn up. He is quite an unpredictable character. He's a funny guy too. We like him here. His record now 32-8 and eight with one draw. Francesco Pianetta 34-3 and three with one draw. Moving over now to the Robin Park Centre in Wigan, Lancashire. One fight to mention on this one as well. Haroon Khan moved to 7-0 and oh with a KO in round two against a man who was 13-6 and six with one draw. Haroon Khan, I never understand why he was out the ring for about three years. I will never, I will never understand why he was out the ring for that long. Um, you know, it makes no sense, but he really needs to get moving now, but he's still only very young. Moving over now to the Wembley Arena in Wembley, London, the World Boxing Super Series card. I was there in attendance for this one as well. This was on the Saturday. Um, a couple fights to mention on this bill. Um, it wasn't a great card, in all honesty. It was uh, The undercard was pretty poor. I've got to be completely honest about that. What I will mention, though, Nathaniel Wilson, which is actually the son of Chris Eubank, is um, obviously Chris Eubank's other sons are all like mixed raced, and this son is full black, and he actually looks a hell of a lot like Chris Eubank Senior. So anyway, um, Nathaniel Wilson was on this bill. His record going in four and zero with one draw. He took on Johnny Phillips, who some people were saying was a journeyman. He was one and one. I'm not sure you could say he's a journeyman. Uh, you know, just just that quickly. He's now two and one because he actually beat Nathaniel Wilson by knockout in the first round. A humongous upset there. All the Eubanks were there in attendance. I don't think Eubank Senior was there, but Eubank Junior was there. His brothers were there. I don't know if that was to watch. Um, George Groves and Jamie Cox fight or if it was to have a little glimpse at their half-brother or if they even talked to their half-brother I've got no idea but that was quite a shock there a shock upset loss there and Nathaniel Wilson now 4-1 and one with one draw it's not looking good for him and Johnny Phillips turns it round he's now 2-1 and one. Credit to him. Also on that bill, what else have we got? Um, Louis Adolfi got disqualified in round one for um, for knocking Nathan McIntosh down after referee Howard Foster called break. So Nathan McIntosh now 14-2 and two, despite being knocked down. It was quite brutal. Uh, Louis Adolfi loses his unbeaten record by disqualification. So he's now 7-1. and one. After the fight, all the fans were booing Adolfi. They didn't like the move that he pulled off and he decided to um, flip the bird as they say decided to stick both of his middle fingers up at the crowd and start twirling around like some ballet dancer <laughs> making sure everybody saw his middle finger in the crowd um, also on the bill John Ryder he was on the show last week and I've got to be completely honest I really love John Ryder but he was up against it big time in this fight you know when I saw how highly ranked Patrick Nielsen was when I saw he was WBA number one ranked contender I really thought that it was a tough ask for John Ryder and in my heart of hearts I thought that John Ryder may get another L on his record here but I was so wrong John Ryder went out in the first round and he was 
a man on a mission, simple as that really. Nielsen was down in the second round and again in the fifth. Um, I know that John knocked him down so bad that he's, uh, you know, he hit him so hard that, that his gum shield flew out of his mouth. It was absolutely destructive stuff from John Ryder. I'm so, so, so pleased for him because he's a real good guy. His record now 25-4. and four. Patrick Nielsen now 29-2. and two. A KO in round five for John Ryder. I honestly cannot put into words how happy I am about that. What a brilliant win and hopefully he gets world ranked now I've got, I've got something to say as well on top on for that Joey go on right this fight with John Ryder it was for me in my opinion it was like a, a lot of people written off for this fight right and a lot of people said it was a make and break fight but to be honest he actually shocked a lot of people in the boxing world when he beat him I, even my even my son when I saw him how he beat him right it was quite bad as well and after the fight if you can see his opponent he's like an oxygen mask as well yeah, it was it was brutal. It was it was just nothing but brutal. It was it was a brilliant performance. Like I say, John Ryder since moving up to one sixty eight has almost kind of got a new lease of life. You know, he's uh, he's been brilliant. He really has. But I'm so pleased for him. Like I say, his record now twenty five and four. Hopefully, we see him in another big fight. Um, also, now the main event. Going on to the main event. Firstly, what I will say, the production of the show at the World Boxing Super Series is absolutely brilliant. The lighting is brilliant. It was great to go and see it you know right in front of my eyes rather than on, on the tv um what i will say though is the fights in the crowd and i don't want this to go on for long i just want to spend 30 seconds on this the fights in the crowd was just crazy i mean i've been at loads and loads and loads of boxing fights and you know, sometimes it does kick off in the crowd but this time it was worse than i've ever seen in one night and i mean that like you know in 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 terms of it was kicking off more times than any other boxing match that I've been to. I mean, I went to the Copper Box a few months back when it was all the riots going off, and that was the worst thing I've ever seen. You know, that can't be topped, in my opinion. It, it couldn't have been worse. But what I mean is, there's been the odd fight here and there at boxing. This time, there was maybe six or seven, maybe even eight or nine actual individual fights probably during the last two fights, which was the John Ryder fight and the George Groves fight. During those two fights, we even missed um, John Ryder's first knockdown because everybody was looking over our shoulders at, at a fight erupting in the crowd. You know, that was quite crazy. People throwing beers. You know, something needs to happen about this. I, I saw um, one guy kicking off with, uh, you know, with another guy. It was mad because two guys were kicking off. And one of them had a girlfriend with him, and his girlfriend was pulling him back, trying to sort of, you know, trying to get him out of the trouble kind of thing. And then it cooled down. And then we carried on watching the fight, and about one or two rounds later, everybody's turning around. I've turned around, and I've seen it's the same guy kicking off with this other guy. And, you know, the guy's girlfriend's trying to pull him back. And anyway, basically, the let me just say this. The guy who was with the girl, I think he was like an Asian guy maybe, and the guy that he was you know, having a fight with at this point was like a big, stocky white fella, um, you know, quite fat. And and the, and the white fella kind of grabbed him by the collar and started pounding him with his other hand, like punching him in the, in the head repeatedly. And the Asian guy kind of couldn't get loose of the, you know, of the, of the hold that, that the stocky guy had on him. So he wasn't getting any punches off at all. And he was just getting hit in the head right in front of his girlfriend. And then his girlfriend's trying to pull him away. And then somebody shoved 
him onto his girlfriend and his girlfriend's in high heels she falls on the floor the guy ends up on top of his girlfriend you know with all his head punched up and all that he was just you know this is ridiculous man I, I just I couldn't believe it when I see that you know you you just don't know if you could be right in between them or you could be that guy I don't know how it started you know the guy with a girlfriend may have started it all and deserved it to a certain extent but you know his girlfriend's on the floor now it's just it, it's, it's just disgusting really um And then when that all happened, some Asian guy that was about two rows behind me just finds, you know, finds it a fantastic moment to pick up his pint of beer, launch it into the crowd, and he hits some old man straight in the chest. Just an old man who had nothing to do with anything, who was just simply there with with, with a friend of his who was also about 75, and he gets hit straight in the stomach, and all all over his shirt's a nice pint of beer, and, you know, the Asian kid's laughing. It's just, what is going on? You know, it's just, it always seems to be in the cheap seats this is happening because I actually wasn't sat in the media bit even though I was given you know a media seat I applied a little bit late so they actually put me in with these people that were just you know just turning it into a hell show to be honest so uh yeah, the less said the better on that, but something needs to happen for sure. It was it was terrible. I've seen a video of a uh, you know a few stewards actually jumping over the fence like they're going to stop the fight and then jumping back over the fence to run away. You know, that's just... I mean, what are these people doing? I don't know. Who's employing them? Sort it out, please. Moving over now to the main event. George Groves defending his WBA Super World Super Middleweight title. Uh, this, of course, the quarterfinal of the the world you know the world boxing super series tournament as super middleweight george groves 26 and 3 going in against jamie cox 24 and 0 the two guys knew each other a long time ago george groves ring walk was really good i really enjoyed that um it was a brilliant brilliant fight while it lasted i think if it went on a few more rounds it could have been contender for fight of the year um jamie cox i think I think he lost the first round, then I think he won the second round, then I think George Groves won the third round, and then of course in that fourth round, Jamie Cox got knocked out and it was by a body shot. Now, I haven't watched it back, but being there, it seemed like um, like like George Groves kind of threw like an, it was almost like an uppercut to the body, it kind of like hit Jamie Cox right underneath one of his pecs, that's kind of how it looked to me. Um, have you watched the the stoppage eyes? Can you shed any light on that at all? Yes, have I got actually, that right? I've actually seen the fight. I was watching it, and it was I was a great fight, wasn't it? It was a brilliant. Let me tell you, it was a brilliant fight. I'll tell you something, right? Jamie Cox here, he was giving it to he was giving it to George Groves in that fight, right? A lot of boxing people out of the boxing world say George Groves got one of they got he's got one of the best jabs in boxing, right? In that fight, if you can see here, George Groves was throwing that when Jamie Cox was throwing hitting him, George Groves was throwing that jab. And every time George Groves was throwing that jab, it was actually landing on Jamie. And obviously, like, George, uh, every time Jamie was hitting him, landing on the thing. Right. It came towards, obviously, when it, it was a fourth round that got, uh, when he got stopped, right? George Groves was on the um, on the ropes, right? and Jamie Cox was hitting him. He left his body open, and, and what happened, right? George Groves hit him right there. Uh, it's like towards his stomach near the, um, near the ribs and hit him by the ribs, and that's how he dropped. Yeah, I mean, obviously going into the fight, we've been told so many times about how hard um, Jamie Cox punches, and also we've been told that Groves is a bit chinny. Firstly, I don't really think Groves is a bit chinny, and I also don't think that Jamie Cox is the puncher that we've all been told to believe. I don't think led to believe, because I don't think most of us most of us believe it, but... 
Um, you know, one thing Eddie Hearn did say on Fight Week was that George Groves hasn't actually fought people with big punches since um, since Carl Froch. Now, obviously, you know, if you actually look at these records, yeah, okay, he took on Christopher Rabras, he can't punch. Um, you know, Dennis Duglin, he took him on. He's actually got the same knockout percentage as Jamie Cox. He took on Badu Jack. Badu Jack has got the same knockout percentage as Jamie Cox. He took on Andrea Di Luisa, that Italian guy. He's actually got a higher knockout rate, um, higher knockout percentage than Jamie Cox. Yeah, he took on um, David Brophy. He's not a big puncher. He took on Martin Murray. Martin Murray's not a big puncher. Um, he took on Edward Gutnetch. Edward Gutnetch has a decent knockout ratio, but it's not the best. He took on Fedor Chudinov. Fedor Chudinov's got a really good knockout ratio, uh, despite. Eddie Hearn actually naming him as you know not a big puncher. He's he's got a bigger punch ratio than than a bigger knockout ratio than Jamie Cox. Jamie Cox is now um, he, his knockout ratio now is fifty two percent. So that's not a big puncher. Let's be honest. So uh, I don't think he's as big of a puncher as what they say. But you know apparently he can still make middleweight. So maybe he should go back down there. But I like Jamie Cox. He didn't disgrace himself. No way. Like I say, I think he won. One of the one of the three rounds, um, you know, like I say, it was the Groves round, then a Cox round, then a Groves round, and who knows what would have happened down the stretch. But you know, he didn't get a chance to get into into the later rounds. It was a brilliant fight. It was a complete firefight, and like I say, um, you know, it was it, it was it, it was brilliant. I, I really enjoyed it. It was one of those fights you couldn't take your eyes off, and um, you know, it was impressive from George Groves. But yeah, I think. Uh, it would have been interesting if it got into the later part of the fight. But Jamie Cox took a, took a few good punches. I think he's got a good chin. Um, like I say, he wasn't stopped with, with a facial punch. It was a body shot. It was a really good body shot as well. So you can't really fault Jamie Cox here. But credit to George Groves. He now takes on Chris Eubank Jr. in the next round. We'll talk about that nearer the time. Moving over now to the StubHub Center, Carson, California, USA. I'm actually going to just fly through this. I'm not even going to read out uh, or try to read into the fights, what I should say. Uh, Eddie Ramirez was 17 and oh, he took on Antonio DeMarco thinking that he could put a name on his win streak. No, no, no. Antonio DeMarco picked up a shocking first round KO, a humongous upset there. Eddie Ramirez stopped standing and defenseless. That was a KO there. Eddie Ramirez now 17 and one. Unbelievable stuff there from Antonio DeMarco to roll back the clock, so to speak. His record now 33 and six with one draw inside 40 fights. Leo Santa Cruz defended his WBA Super World Featherweight title against Chris Avalos. It was a KO in round 8 of 12. Um, yeah, Leo Santa Cruz now 34-1 and one with one draw. Chris Avalos 27-6. and six. Not going to read into that at all. It was it was a rubbish fight in my honest opinion. Abdomaris was made to look a million dollars against somebody who was quite limited, I think. I don't really rate that Andres Gutierrez too much. Uh, his record now 35 and 2 with one draw and Abnamares is 31 and 2 with one draw um, of course Mares defended successfully his WBA world featherweight title Gutierrez was cut from a legal punch in round 2 the bout was stopped in round 10 from a a cut left eye that opened uh from, from accidental fouls in the 8th round, apparently. So it was a technical decision over 10 rounds for Abner Morris. Um, 
that was what it was. But no, the, both guys, both opponents there took a took a right beating. There was a lot of blood. Moving over now to the Barclays Center, Brooklyn, New York, USA. Credit to Sky, by the way, for showing us both cards. I don't think it was particularly their fault that the you know the two fights that they showed or the three fights that they showed from the, uh, the you know the the StubHub Center card weren't good fights, but these were good fights. Moving over to the Barclays Center, Brooklyn, New York. Um, one fight I'm going to mention on the uh, two fights I'm going to mention on the on on the undercard before I talk about the televised fights. Tony Harrison, of course, he uh, he lost out recently for the vacant IBF world title to Jarrett Hurd. Tony Harrison picked up a win. It was a unanimous decision win over eight rounds against Paul Valenzuela Jr., who was twenty and five, now twenty and six. Tony Harrison now twenty five and two. Cindy Serrano, that's the sister of Amanda Serrano uh, that's two fighting sisters from Puerto Rico Cindy Serrano actually won a split decision over eight two minute rounds against Adina Kiss I think that may have been an opponent of somebody over here maybe maybe Katie Taylor I can't I can't really think um, yes yeah, Cindy Serrano actually won a split decision but apparently the you know one of the judges who gave it to Adina Kiss it was so so bad that card that they're actually trying to you know maybe get that judge suspended because apparently it was pretty much a shutout um from what i've heard there so Cindy Serrano now 27 and 5 with free draws um also on the bill Eris Landy Lara this was the main event but let's get this one out of the way first Eris Landy Lara 24 and 2 with two draws going on took on undefeated Olympian Terrell Gaucher we had him on the show a few weeks ago it was for the IBO and WBA Super World Super welterweight titles. Um, Terrell Gaucher was knocked down in the fourth round. To be honest, he just couldn't really get into the fight. I think maybe he only won about one or two rounds down the whole stretch. You know, um, he just couldn't get into it. He wasn't doubling up on the jab. He was throwing singular shots. Um, you know, when he was throwing, Eris Landy Lara was, was getting out of range very quickly and stepping back into range to land his own shots. It was clever stuff. Uh, you know, it was slick stuff from Eris Landy Lara. Probably, again, I've said it before, he's probably the number one guy at 154. And, you know, unlucky for Terrell Gaucher, really. He will learn a lot from that fight. But stylistically, Eris Landy Lara is a bad matchup for anybody, really. So you can't you can't really blame you know, blame him for that. Um, by the way, what I will say while we're here, while I remember, we did the prediction leagues, of course, last week. Now, I as I went with Groves to win by knockout. You went with Groves to win on points, and I think no, our listeners also went with Groves by knockout. So I gain a point. Our listeners gain a point. Um, our listeners also went with Heard to win by knockout. We're going to talk about this fight in a minute. And our listeners also went with Charlo to win by knockout. So they got all three of their predictions right. I went with Ericsson Lubin to win. Boy, oh boy, that went wrong. Uh, you actually went with Charlo to win by knockout as well, I asked. So the new scores, even though we're going to talk about the fights in just a second, the new scores is I'm on seven, you're on seven, and the listeners have overtook us there in eight. So we really need to step our game up. But going back to the fight, uh, just wanted to do that while I remembered. Eris Landy Lara now 25-2 and two with two draws. Terrell Gaucher handed up his first loss. He's lost his unbeaten record. He's now 20-1. and one. So, uh, you know, a good win there for Eris Landy Lara. But to be honest, he... 
you know, he, he didn't look too good. I mean, it was it's pretty boring, let's be honest. But you know, he's he's very effective what he does. Um, you know, he's a Cuban. Let's just say that. Let's just say that. Moving up the bill, Jamel Charlo, twenty nine and O, put his WBC World Super Welterweight title on the line against Ericsson Lubin. Lubin was the young prospect coming up. Lubin, obviously, eighteen and O. Um, you know, he's he's been a bit of a prospect he's been touted as the next thing for quite a while i believed in the hype a little bit and i thought that he could possibly outbox jamel charlo because in my honest opinion i think jamel charlo can be outboxed because we saw that from john jackson until he got stopped and walked onto a silly shot um so yeah i actually thought that lubin may have had the pedigree you know amateur wise pro wise to be able to take this into the later part of the fight and possibly give Charlo a little bit of a boxing lesson because I think Charlo is a good boxer but I think he can be outboxed by someone who's you know a really really good boxer um but yeah I was so wrong it didn't even really give us any chance to even think about it there was a KO in round one a humongous statement there for Jamel Charlo what a way to move to 30 and 0 he defends his WBC uh, world super welterweight title successfully there Lubin was out it was a brutal knockout Lubin's record now 18 and 1 um do you want to add anything to that, eyes, or should I go straight on to the main event? Just got to say one quick thing, elaborate on that. What an uppercut for Jamal Charlotte. The way he uppercutted him, it's like, last two fights I've seen him, he's been knocking out people. But yeah, that's all I'm going to say. What a brilliant knockout. Well done to Jamal Charlotte. Yeah, he's certainly turned into, uh, you know, a humongous punch, puncher lately. Um, you know, just like his older brother, he's obviously noted for a big bang, and Jamel Charlo's been laying people out lately, as you alluded to just there. Also, the main, well, not the main event, but one of the fights. What a fight this was, by the way. Jarrett Hurd, 20-0, successfully defended his IBF World Super Welterweight title against Austin Trout. Austin Trout, 30-3. and three. It was Austin Trout's corner that pulled him out of the fight after 10 rounds. But let's talk about this fight itself. Austin Trout started the fight very, very well. Um, Austin Trout was actually fighting the wrong fight, really. But I think it was because of the pace that Jarrett Hurd had set. Austin Trout, you know... What I was what I was quite surprised about is Austin Trout, he doesn't really possess the power, which was a real shame, because I think that if he did have a bit of snap in his punches, he possibly could have hurt Jarrett Hurd. I don't really think Jarrett Hurd was hurt at all. He was so much of a smaller guy, Austin Trout. You could see the size difference was massively in Hurd's favour. Um, obviously, we know Austin Trout's been out the ring for a while as well. He's coming off a long layoff. This fight's been pushed back a couple of times. It hasn't really been Austin Trout's fault. Austin Trout was able to find Jarrett Hurd so many times with the straight left hand which I couldn't believe you know Jarrett Herb was just walking onto his straight left hand um, obviously Austin Trout landed a good amount of uppercuts as I said and you know he, he did really well He's win- he was winning a few of those early rounds he, he won a few in a row to be completely honest I actually predicted Trout to win on points I think you did as well as and this is where our listeners um, you know got the prediction right but no, you know, he just gassed too early, man. I mean, he gassed after about five rounds, and from that point onwards, he was just an accident waiting to be, you know, waiting to happen. And I think that, you know, credit to Hurd, because he's got a good gas tank. I think he's proven that a couple times now. And I just, I just thought, you know, I felt really, really sorry for Austin Trout, because I think that's probably his last chance at a world title, I think. Um, even though... You know, he's only 30-4, and four and he's only lost to really good fighters. He only lost to world champions. But I think that 
he probably won't get another shot. I'm not quite sure what he's going to do himself with his career, but I think if he was going to beat one of the champions, that would probably be the champion that he could possibly beat. And, you know, he just didn't have it in the tank. He just ran out of steam. But that could be down to the inactivity. It could be down to the age. I just don't know. It's hard to really gauge what's going on with him. But, no, I felt very sad for him, man. He's a good guy. I think he's actually... I'm sure he was, like, the first world champion we've ever had on this show. So I've always, you know, been a, been a fan of his, really, since that happened. And, you know, I remember speaking to him back in 2015 and, you know it's just a shame it hasn't really worked out for him since then, to be honest. He's he's had some bad luck, Austin Trout, but we wish him all the very best for the future. And credit to Jarrah Hurd, you know, he hung in there, he was losing the rounds, he didn't seem to lose his head at all. Um, I think he might have even been cut as well, um, you know, and then he managed to just knuckle down, stick to his boxing a little bit, which, he, he you know, he, was, he wasn't the superior boxer out the two, Austin Trout was, but... He didn't panic, he stuck with it, and like I say, ultimately, it looked like he was going to stop Austin Trout, and then Austin Trout's corner probably, um, you know, pulled him out at the right time, really, because he was, he'd absolutely emptied out his gas tank, emptied out his second wind, he had nothing left, Austin Trout, and like I say, credit to him, a real warrior performance, you know, after such a long layoff, so much inactivity, to pull that out of the bag, it deserves a lot of credit, but unfortunately, coming second best in a two-man race doesn't really amount to nothing so all the very best to Jarrett Hurd and Austin Trout Jarrett Hurd now 21 and 0 perfect record and that's really it with the reviewing sorry that's taken so long we uh we really got to learn to try and get through these things a little bit quicker lately we've just been dragging on a little bit too much but just before we wrap up part one of course there's one last thing to do and that of course is to welcome guest number one Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Great Britain's very own 2016 Olympic silver medalist and also a man set to make his debut this weekend in the professional ranks. It's, of course, Mr. Joe Joyce. Joe, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey, it's uh, it's my pleasure having you on. How are you feeling today, Joe? Yeah, very good. Um, finished training, did some sharp work on the pads and, uh, yeah, just ready and just can't wait for my fight Friday night. Okie dokie. So, first things first, I want to quickly just recap on your Olympic success. Last year, you obviously won the silver medal in Rio, losing a split decision in the final to Tony Yoka. Now, I thought you won that fight quite clearly. The judges didn't see it the way I saw it. Um, What did you make of that fight, and how clear was it for you, Joe? Well, I thought thought the fight was all in my hands, and... um... You know, I thought I was land, landing the shots and putting putting shots through his guard and through his body and everywhere, like landing, landing. And um, after the first round, I was thinking, oh, okay. Um, the coach just speaking to me and that. And uh, I thought, hmm. And then, like, I went and upped it again for the second round and, you know, landing more shots. And I got back and, and my coach Lee was like, Joe, you're two, you're two rounds down. I was thinking, oh, what's going on here? So then the third round I came out all guns blazing again and uh you know i thought i uh thought i punched him up and um and he was doing the alley shuffle and like being all cocky and uh you know i thought i i thought i won the fight i thought i beat him comfortably but i didn't get the decision 
Yeah, it was it was a bad decision in my opinion. Not um, not the only one at that Olympics, by the way. But the less said, the better on that. So obviously, you've decided to turn pro now. Before we get on to your first fight, you've signed a promotional contract with Haymaker Ringstar, a company owned by both Richard Schaefer and David Hay. We had Richard on our show last week, and he made it clear during the interview that he's extremely excited about your development as a pro. Firstly, though, Joe, how did it all come about? Why Haymaker Ringstar, and were you? always going to definitely turn pro after last year yeah of course winning the olympic silver medal um, the next step is obviously to start invading the pros and um, i had had a lot of time trying to make my decision it was very hard because i had so many offers Um, but i think i've made the right decision and the best decision decision for me moving forward Um, obviously with david hay um, who's been in you know he's a two two two-weight world champion and Richard Schaefer as well, you know, started and running Golden Boy, who's now gone on to make Ringstar, which is going to, you know, which is on the rise. So I think, you know, I've made the best decision possible for for my career going forward. And also having um, Ishmael Salas, uh, the best coach for me at this stage of my career. Yeah, I was just going to mention Ishmael Salas, the Cuban mastermind. Now, obviously, he's he's brought a few world champions through the ranks, but to my knowledge, English... 19. In, oh, 19, you say? Yeah. Oh, that's shocking. I didn't know it was that many, but that's that's amazing. But but to my knowledge, his English isn't the best. What's it like training with a guy of his capabilities and also a little bit of a language barrier? No, there's no language barrier. You can speak good English. Okay. I, I, know, good. I know a bit of Spanish as well. Oh, brilliant. Poquito Spanish. But, oh, um, <laughs> yeah, we, we we get on well. He's he's a great character, and uh, you know he's uh, you know teaching me and re- re- refining me, and uh, you know worked really well. He works really well with me and, and the rest of the guys, MV, MVP Michael Vernon Page and Willie Hutchinson, and oh, of course um, David Hay and Joe Fournier. The you know the gym's buzzing, and uh, you know I did some work out in in Vegas, and. Um, and LA with um, Jorge Linares, who fought with Luke Campbell. So, you know, that was a great experience and great sparring for me. And, um, you know, it's, it was great to see him in his element in his, in his his home gym in Vegas. And it's a bit of a strange scenario because your trainer also trains your promoter. Obviously, David Hay has got a huge night ahead of him come December. How's he looking in the gym at the moment, Joe? And how do you see that rematch playing out? Well, I thought um, I thought the first the first outing they they did. I thought I thought he was going to go all David's way. He was going to you know <clears throat> land a big haymaker, but obviously his um, Achilles went, which was unlucky. Um, but I've seen him in the gym now, and he's. You know he's looking better than ever. He's um, you know bouncing around again, and obviously work the work he's doing with uh, Salas is you know he, he's even re- refining him. So it's, you know it's a great atmosphere around the around the ring, around the gym. Sorry. And the final question before I get on to your fight, your fight itself. Um, since the announcement that you'll be turning pro, I know that you've sparred a few guys. I know that you had a little bit of a move around with Tyson Fury. What was that like? And who else have you been sparring lately? Names that we may know of, Joe. Um, I went to to Ireland. I sparred Mike Perez, which was a which was a great spar. It was very fun. Spar is explosive Cuban 
Southpaw. Um, I sparred with yeah Tyson Fury for a couple of rounds. That was that was really awkward. He's like switching. He's and he's a big man, so you know it's very awkward and unorthodox hitting with some mad shots. And he's very he's really hard to hit. So and that was when he was like 20 stone. So um, I can't only imagine when he's like in fighting shape <laughs> how hard he would be to spar. Also, um, also Huey Fury, um, his cousin. Um, I, I went when I went to the States in Vegas and LA. I sparred with uh, Bermain Stavern, oh, um, and also Dominic Brazil and um, a couple of other um, heavyweights. Also, the the guy who fought uh, Yoka Tony Yoka last. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, was, he was great sparring too. Nice. That's brilliant. There's some really impressive names there. You haven't sparred Daniel Dubois at all, have you? Of course I have, because I've been on the GB setup, and um, he was on the GB team as well. But I was quite surprised when he uh, made the step and um, turned pro. Uh, and also, I've done hundreds of rounds with uh, anti Josh and anti AJ yeah, and um, yeah. Fraser Clark. Yeah, I'd pay to see the the Dubois sparring. That's uh, you know he's really looking good right now. But right, getting on to your pro debut now. You're taking on Ian Lewis in this Friday. A good fighter, definitely not a journeyman. Why Ian Lewis and Joe? Um, well, I like to create his, history because I'm probably the first person to have a main event ten rounder in my debut. I like to think I'm creating a bit of history there. But yeah, it's going to be a challenge and uh, it's going to be a great fight on Friday night. So, you know, those of you can get down there, come and support. And if not, watch on Dave, Channel Dave. Absolutely, absolutely. And what do you know about Ian as a fighter? He seems like the kind of guy that if he's dedicated, he's a very dangerous fighter. This seems like a potential banana skin so early on in your pro career. Yeah, um, he's, you know, very tough, very durable. He's he's got He's got knockout power, so... You know, it'd be very dangerous for the first three rounds, so I'm, I'm going to have to be on my toes. Uh, but I believe that I'm uh, very experienced and at that level where um, he shouldn't really pose a pos- uh, problem for me. And when we had Ian Lewis on our show a couple of weeks back, uh, the fight had been announced, and I I asked him, you know, what does he think of you, and how's he feeling, etc. And he told me, in his words, that he's ready to take your head off and hang it on his wall. A bit of an outlandish statement. How do you respond to that one, Joe? Well, we'll see. Fight night. <laughs> Simple as like that. To see him try. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you can, okay. you, I mean, you don't win fights by talking, do you? Nope. Not at all, not at all. Now, fighting a guy like Lewison on your debut, it gives off the impression that you will want to try to move quickly. Obviously, you're 32 years old at the moment. Will you be looking at being fast-tracked into some kind of title shot in rapid succession? Well, I, I am being fast-tracked, and um, I believe I'm at that level. I've you know, sparred with the best, and um, I've had the experience in World, World Series boxing, so I believe I'll um, be Victoria, victorious on Friday night. And another thing that Richard Schaefer told me last week was that he wants to put a boxing card on sometime next year to showcase both yourself and Tony Yoko, you know, his heavyweights, and I think he's got another heavyweight he's signed as well. He wants to put all the heavyweights on one card. That would be really exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, yeah, have you been told about that? It sounds good. No, but it sounds sounds amazing. Uh, obviously, Richard Schaefer is a genius, and uh, I'm happy to be a, you know signed with him. Yeah, no, he's, he's the man, he's the man. 
Anything that you want to tell our listeners at all just before we let you go, Joe? I don't know. Just follow my journey. Uh, I'm on Insta, Joe Joyce Official, Twitter, Joe Joyce, and also Facebook. I've got a Facebook page. So, yeah, just follow me and uh, watch watch me on Dave or come and support. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Okay, listen, Joe, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Best of luck on Friday, and we'll catch up sometime afterwards for sure. Oh, thanks a lot. Okay, now it's part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the preview part but as always before we get into the preview part we fly over to Ayaz who's already waiting with a list of the latest news from the boxing world Ayaz take it away okay super middleweight um, commonwealth boxing champion Rocky Fielding has been ordered to defend his belt against Virginia Singh yeah it's a bit of a weird one um, you know obviously Virginia Singh's nation part of the commonwealth um, Rocky Fielding will I don't know. This is this is this is a bit of a you know a bit of a strange one because I'm not quite sure if Virginia Singh is still being promoted by Frank Warren. If that's not the case, then is he being promoted by some kind of rich Indian promoter who may win a purse bid and possibly you know or may offer Rocky loads of money to go and defend in India? That'd be mad. Um, will Rocky vacate? It's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I'm happy to see Vijinder Singh fighting for the Commonwealth title and fighting against somebody who we've heard of. That would be good if it does happen. But, yeah, we'll we really find out how good Vijinder Singh is or how good Rocky Fielding is. He looked really good last time out. But hopefully the fight happens. It's just, it could happen in India and it could happen at the Echo Arena. <laughs> we really don't know what's going to happen. But, yeah, we will, we will watch out for what does happen. Anthony Joshua's fight with Kubrat Pulev has been cancelled, but Anthony Joshua will now face Carlos Takam as a replacement. Yes, um, obviously Kubrat Pulev has, has, you know, he's, he's come out with a shoulder injury. He will be gutted about that. He was set to make about five million pounds. Um, yeah, they've they've got they've drafted Carlos Takam in. I think that Eddie Hearn said he actually did a deal with Takam just in, you know, in case the. Uh, the chance that, that Pulev would get injured or anything like that. He did a deal with him about seven weeks, um, you know, seven weeks before. And apparently, Carlos Takam was actually going to fight on the Monaco card that Eddie Hearn's got coming up. So, um, yeah, you know, he was he was pretty much getting ready to fight, you know, like a week later. So, yeah, I mean... I'm pleased that they got an opponent wrapped up so quick, but I'm not a big Takam fan. I don't really think he's got a chance. I would ten times prefer to see the Pulev fight. I think that would have been a good fight, whereas I think this is just going to be rubbish. Um, You know, if I bought tickets for the fight, I'd want a refund, to be honest. I think Takam probably gets knocked out in about five rounds. He's obviously quite tough. He went the distance with Joseph Parker, but I don't think he's... You know, I don't think I think Joshua won't have any problems with him really. Um, what I will say as well, you know, credit to Eddie Hearn though. That's that's a clever piece of of promoting. Really good job that he actually had. Um, you know, Takam already sort of you know ready to jump in in case this happened because you know he he got it right. He got it right, and it, and it, and it did happen. And it, he had no idea about any possible injury that may come up or anything from what he said and you know he basically just turned around and said I just wanted to completely insure myself if you like because we had you know this big stadium in 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 Wales that uh 
you know, there's going to be like 80,000 people there or whatever. And he just wanted to make sure that it could definitely, definitely could happen. Just to make sure that if anything happened, they could quickly get someone in to replace him. So, very clever stuff there from Mr. Hearn. And, um, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's not going to be as good of a fight. And I'm, I might not even buy it now, to be honest. I mean, the undercard's not great, but I probably won't buy it now that this guy's jumped in. Because Takam's very negative. Nothing exciting about him. But um, hopefully he gives Joshua a good fight, but I really don't see it. On that same card, yeah, Dillian White will face Robert Hellenius. Yeah, obviously Robert Hellenius, he's been known around the you know the European scene. I remember he got a gift decision against Derek Chisora quite a few years ago now. Um, you know, I quite like Hellenius, but I think that, I don't know, it's a hard, it's a hard fight really to call. I mean... I think Dillian will probably win because I think he's a little bit fresher. I think Hellenius hasn't really done nothing for quite a while. But, you know, it's, it's actually an alright fight. I mean, stylistically, I think it could be a proper bore fest. Don't get me wrong, but it's a hard fight to pick. I mean, a lot of people won't really know who Hellenius is or anything like that. Some of the casual fans. So, I'm sure they're thinking Dillian White's going to absolutely smash him. But, that's a hard fight to call, actually. I might... um. I think that probably goes a distance in all in all honesty, but um, yeah, that that could be an interesting fight. I don't mind that fight to be honest. That's a that's a you know that's a more of a fifty fifty fight than the main event for sure. That's I'd probably rather watch that. But um, yeah, that's that's it for that one. An agreement has been reached for Billy Joe Saunders to face David Lemieux on December sixteenth in Montreal, Canada. Yes, obviously, um, you know, to go over to Canada and defend your WBO world title is one thing, but against a huge puncher like David Lemieux is another. Um, you know, it's quite simple, this fight, to pick out. I don't think that Lemieux can win on points. I think, you know, Billy Joe's very crafty, obviously, Southpaw and all that. But, I, uh, you know, if David Lemieux lands on you, he will put you out, and I think that the same thing kind of counts for Billy Joe. He could be knocked out here. You know, he's definitely showing balls to, to go on the road. Um, yeah, it's just... I'm, I'm a bit surprised that it's happening in Canada, really. I was looking forward to possibly going to his next fight in the UK. So I'll have to, I'll have to wait till next year to go to his next fight, I suppose. But um, no, it's a tough, tough fight. Listen, it's a really, really, really tough fight. I've been calling for this fight for a while. I'm happy it's happening. And um, it's a bloody hard fight to pick, in all honesty. And finally, Frank Bruno has been given a boxing license for to become a trainer. Yeah, I didn't actually know this until you just said it there, Ayaz. But um, yeah, I mean, that's that's interesting. I, I know that he not long ago wanted to make a boxing comeback. If he's now got a license as a trainer, it's going to be... I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what he can do or who he's going to work with... Um, I don't know. It's, it's I don't know. It's, it's weird. I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I know that he was a good boxer. He's obviously former heavyweight world champion, but he never really struck me as a guy that you know had all that kind of knowledge in the corner, like that could give brilliant advice and bring through a world level guy. You know, like I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. Listen, I could be completely wrong. You know, but. I don't know, that, that, I'm not sure that's going to be a brilliant move, but we'll have to wait and see. You know, he's a good guy. We wish him all the very best, that's for sure. That's it for the news. Okay, Ayaz, thank you very much. Moving over now to the preview part of the show. We're going to try to go through this a little bit quicker. Starting at the Durham Armory in Durham, North Carolina. That's probably Durham or something like that, but that one's over in the USA. There's one fight to mention over here. Basically, the heavyweight undefeated prospect, Sun 
of Hassim Rackman. It's, of course, Hassim Rackman Jr. 2-0. He takes on a man called Joe Coates, who's making his debut. So, all the very best to Hassim Rackman Jr., friend of the show. Moving over now to the Monte Carlo Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. This one is a Golden Boy promotion show. It's going to be on ESPN, if I'm not mistaken, in the States. Um... It's, it's really gone under the radar. I bet you didn't even know about this, Ayaz. Um, Gabriel Rosado, 23 and 11, takes on Glenn Tapia, 23 and 4. Obviously, we last saw um, Glenn Tapia against, I think I last saw him against Jason Quigley. You know, he got beaten up pretty bad. Um, but then he gave a decent account of himself. I think I can't really remember that fight too clearly. I remember I watched it. But, um, yeah, Gabriel Rosado, I mean, I've never really rated him too much. His record's now 23-11. and 11. Glenn Tapia, 23-4. and four. Um, Obviously, Rosado's been in there with the tougher guys. That's probably why he's got the more losses. But, it's, it's, I mean, it's two guys that are shot a little bit, in my, in my honest opinion. I think both guys are shot. I think that... It could it could make for a great fight though. That's that's the kind of thing you know. That's that's the thing with these these two two kind of warriors that are shot. So um, yeah, I don't think it's going to be you know no one's going to go on. Hopefully, no one goes on to be in a big fight past this. But it's a ten rounder. It could be a bit of a war. But I think um, unbelievably, I think that Gabriel Rosado's probably got a little bit left, a little bit more left in the tank than Glenn Tapia. I think Glenn Tapia's had a hard career. And um, I'll probably go with Gabriel Rosado, but I'm not going to be in a rush to watch it, in my honest opinion. Moving over now to Singapore. There's just one fight I want to mention. There's a guy on this card called Sirimonkon Iafuam. I'm probably saying that wrong. And I just wanted to point out, his record is 92 wins and 3 losses. You know, even though he's only lost 3 fights... He's only been stopped once, and he and <laughs> unbelievably, he hasn't been stopped for 20 years. He last got stopped in 1997, and he's actually fighting for the vacant IBO Asia Pacific Super Welterweight title against a guy who's 34 and six with two draws. But this guy, he's 95 fights into his career. You never see that anymore. He's 40 years old. He's a former world champion, but that's an amazing record. He must have the longest. You know the longest fight record out of any active fighter right now. If someone can find somebody that's actually fought longer than that, I think we'll have to give them a prize. So if someone is still active who's had who's had more than no, in fact that's silly. There's there's journeymen out there that have had like 154 fights, but no, an actual guy that's not a journeyman who's got 92 wins. I'd be I'd be very interested to see if somebody can find someone with a better record than 92 and three. Moving over now to the Indigo at the O2 Greenwich London United Kingdom. Couple fights to mention on this bill. Dwayne Sinclair's on the bill. His record six and zero. His opponent yet to be announced. Adrian Martin's on the bill. His record six and zero. He's in a four rounder against a guy who's one and five with one draw. Um, it's not a great card, in all honesty. Um, Nick Parper's on the bill. His record four and one. Um, Michael Venom Page. That's the guy called MVP. I know he's a you know he's got a massive amateur, uh, so, sorry not amateur, he's got a massive MMA background, he's making his debut in a four-rounder against a guy who's 2-11 and 11 with one draw called Jonathan Castano, uh, Willie Hutchinson, he's in a four-rounder, he's actually the Scottish guy, if I'm not mistaken, who um, who Richard Schaefer was telling me about last week, I don't know if, if you've listened to that interview, he was saying that Willie Hutchinson's like the best Scottish amateur of all time, and he's... Um, 
you know, his nickname is the Braveheart, so I'm, in, I'm excited to see how he's going to get on. He's actually taken on a guy who's 10 and 27 with one draw, so he's taken on a guy who's had 38 fights in his pro debut. That's not a bad start there, really. Uh, also on the build, John O'Donnell, 32 and 2, defends his English welterweight title against Tamuka Mucha. That's actually a really, really good fight. I'm looking forward to that. If you didn't know, this is actually a David Hay Haymaker Promotions card, of course. Um, you know, in 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 association with Richard Schaefer and Ringstar, and also on the bill, of course, Joe Joyce, a man that uh, we spoke to earlier on in the show. Of course, his record zero and zero. He's making his debut. He takes on Ian Lewison in a ten rounder on his debut. Amazing stuff. Ian Lewison, no mug. His record twelve and three with one draw. And we know that Ian Lewison told me a couple of weeks back in another interview. He told me he's ready to take. Joe Joyce's head off and hang it on his wall. So we will have to wait and see how that one plays out. All the very best of luck to both guys there. Moving over now to Germany. One fight to mention on this bill. Erkan Tepper, 17-2, takes on Evgenios Lazaridis, whose record's 11-0. That should be okay. That's a 10-rounder. Moving over now to Norway. Cecilia Baracus, 31-0, puts her IBF, IBO, WBA, WBC, and WBO world female welterweight titles on the line against Michaela Lauren, whose record is 29-4. and That's a 10-rounder there, of course, 10-2-minute rounds. All the very best to Cecilia Baracus and Jonathan Banks. Moving over now to the SSE Arena, Belfast, Northern Ireland, United Kingdom. A few fights to mention on this bill. Again, it's not a great card, but it's probably the best card that Sky have put on. Um, for the last couple, you know, the last couple of shows, I mean, the Burns Crawler was terrible. The one before that, I forgot off the top of my head at the minute, that one wasn't good. This one's probably the better bill, I suppose. Of course, it's got a proper world title on the line here, two world titles on the line. Um, Anthony Fowler's on the bill, his record 3 and 0, his opponent yet to be announced. Josh Kelly's on the bill, his record 3 and 0, his opponent yet to be announced. That's an eight rounder for Josh Kelly. Um, also. Tyrone McKenna, he was supposed to take on, I think it was Tommy Coyle, but uh, unfortunately he's had to pull out with an injury, so Reynold Garrido steps in, you know, it's really took the, you know, the excitement out of Tyrone McKenna's fight really, but I like Tyrone McKenna, his record 14-0 and with one draw, Reynold Garrido 19-16 and with two draws, that's a 10-rounder there, James Tennyson 19-2 and puts his WBA International Super Featherweight title on the line against Darren Trainer, 14-1, and uh, that should be okay. Paul Highland Jr., 16-0, takes on Stephen Orman. That's a really good fight. Stephen Orman, 24-4. This one's for the IBF East and West Europe lightweight title. I think Paul Highland Jr. is quite a good fighter. I think he, you know, he can make a statement here. Stephen Ormond, obviously, you know, the... I want to say like he's been around the block a while, even though he hasn't had the best of careers. He's he's a tough guy, and I think you know he's he's a bit of a name, especially that part of um, Britain, you know, Northern Ireland over there. I think Stephen Orman's got a good name over there. Um, and the main event, of course, Ryan Burnett, seventeen and O, puts his IBF World Bantamweight title on the line against Zanat Zakayanov, twenty-seven and one. Uh, Zanat Zakayanov puts his WBA Super World Bantamweight title on the line. A unification in Ryan Bennett's first defense, which is quite amazing. Obviously, Zanat Zakayanov trained by Ricky Hatton. Ricky Hatton, for a short spell, was actually training Ryan Bennett. Ryan Bennett, obviously, with Adam Booth now. Um, 
it's a hard fight to call, isn't it, Ayers? We, you know, we saw Ryan Bennett do really well against Haskins, but Haskins was awful that night. We haven't seen Ryan Bennett since. Zanat Zakhanov's probably fought the, you know, the better guys. In all honesty, and obviously he's actually got a loss. He's been down, I think, a couple of times. Um, you know, Ryan Bennett, I don't think's the biggest puncher. It's really hard to call. Could it be a little bit too early for Bennett? I wouldn't be surprised anyway. It turns out. I can tell you for a fact, it's a tough fight. It's obviously. After winning the IBF straight away, he's gonna he's gonna have a uh, what do you call it? He's having a unification fight, and it's Zakianov as well. Zakianov's got eighty, I think he's got eighteen knockouts, and Ryan Bennett's got nine knockouts. Um, to be honest, if I'm gonna go for a win, I'm gonna go for Ryan Bennett points win because he's fighting at both us at his home. Obviously, Zakianov is a good fight, but to be honest, Ryan Bennett's gonna win this fight. I got a feeling and Ryan Bennett is a very good fighter, and he's got a very good relationship with his trainer Adam Booth, and obviously with that. He's going to push and I've got a feeling he's going to win on points in front of his home crowd. I mean, yeah, I didn't I didn't ask our Twitter listeners or anything about, um, our Twitter followers, I should say, or anything about a prediction league. So we won't do the prediction league on it. But all I will say is I really wouldn't be surprised if Zanat Zakhanov ends up winning. And if he does, I reckon probably on points, even though it's in Northern Ireland. But um, all the very best to Ryan Bennett. I really like him, and I think he's a really good fighter with a great future. And moving over now to the first direct arena, Lee Jorkshis. It's a bit nuts that Frank Warren and Eddie Hearn have both got a card on the same night but we have to you know we have to deal with this a few times now um who's on this bill jack massey 12 and oh he is a undefeated cruiserweight i think he's ranked um above isaac chamberlain in the british rankings if you like um I'd like to see him if I haven't really seen much of Jack Massey. I haven't seen anything of Jack Massey, if I'm honest. Uh, Jack Bateson's also on the bill. His record 1-0. and oh. He takes on Camille Jowarek, who is 4-7. and seven. That's it for that one. Also on the bill, Tommy Langford. He's back in the ring since being knocked out by Kurt Sidsey. I don't think he's fought since. Um, his record 18-1. and one. He's in a six-rounder. His opponent yet to be announced. Zelfa Barrett's finally fighting for a title. It's for the vacant... English super featherweight title. Zelfa Barra, 18-0. He takes on Chris Conwell, 9-2. Hopefully, um, you know, Zelfa Barrett wins this one. I really like Zelfa Barrett. I think he's technically very good, but I want to see him stepped up. He's he's taking too long around the, the journeyman scene, I feel. Not not saying Chris Conwell's a journeyman. I'm just saying that he needs to step it up a little bit now, Zelfa. Also on the bill, um, Leon Woodstock, 9-0. Steps up against Craig Poxton. Um, all the very best to Leon Woodstock. He's he's making the jump here, and he could potentially be 10-0 after this fight. That's a 10-rounder there. Also on the bill, Josh Warrington, 25-0, takes on Dennis Shelan. I think I've been calling him Dennis Seelam for about five years. His record, 18-0 with two draws, so somebody's O's got to go here. Hopefully it's not another draw for Shelan. And, um, you know, I think Josh Warrington shouldn't really have much problem with him. I know that uh, Josh Warrington's in the same gym as Isaac Lowe. Isaac Lowe would rather be in there against Shelan. And um, unfortunately, that hasn't happened. But no, you know, Josh Warrington, I think he's going to look good beating him. But then we need to see him really stepped up because Josh Warrington's really a guy that, for me, has been in a good position for quite a while but hasn't really capitalised on it. And the main event, Tyrone Nurse, 35-2 and with two draws, takes on Jack Catterall, 18-0. and Tyrone Nurse puts his British super lightweight title on the line. This is a really, really good fight. A 12-rounder, of course. Really hard fight to pick. It really, really is. Obviously, Jack Catterall. 
you know, he looked really good in some of his fights, and then he looks really bad in some of his his other fights. Tyrone Nurse, he's very he's a, he's a hard puzzle to to solve if you like. I don't think he really does anything spectacular. I think he just does the basics well. He's um, you know, he's he's a little bit negative. Well, he's very negative. I feel Tyrone Nurse. Um, you know, it's it's a hard hard fight to call. But I tell you what, if Jack Catterall comes through on this one, then he really will be something special. I'm sure of it. Uh, his record eighteen and oh, as I said there, Tyrone Nurse thirty five and two with two draws. Flying over now to the United States at the Armory in San Francisco, California. A couple fights to mention on this bill. Devin Haney, 17-0, takes on Carlos Cardenas, who's 22-14 and 14 with one draw. That's a six-rounder. All the very best to Devin Haney. Also on the bill, Karrion Mayfield, his record 19-4 and four with one draw. He takes on a guy who's 10-0 and 0 called Miguel Dumas. Could be an upset there. That's a six-rounder there. Moving over now to the Prudential Center in New Jersey, USA. Um, this is the fight card that Richard Chafer was talking about on last week's show. The you know the card that he's promoting. Um, who's on this bill? Who's on this bill? Matthias Mastanak. His record thirty nine and four. He takes on Stevens Bujaj, who's never heard of, but his record sixteen and one with one draw. Also on that bill, Maciej Suleki. That's the Polish guy who's twenty five and zero. He's in a ten rounder against Jack Kalkai. That's a really, really good fight. Of course, we saw him recently against Demetrius Andrade. He come up short that night, but this is a really, really good fight for him. Um, you know, good, good stage to be on as well. And of course, the main event is the cruiserweight version of the World Boxing Super Series. The IBF World Cruiserweight title is also at stake in this. This one, Murat Gassiev, 24-0, takes on Christoph Wolodzik, 53-3 with one draw. Wolodzik's been ripped off a few times and he, you know, he comes back and ends up, you know, pulling off a shocking win. I don't think he's going to do the same against Gassiev. I think Gassiev's probably one of the favourites to win this tournament as well. He's looking like a beast right now. That should be a great fight. That one, I'm not sure what channel that's on. I'm hoping we get to see that on ITV uh, box office for free. I'm hoping so. I haven't heard anything. Moving over now to the Turning Stone Resort and Casino in Verona, New York. We're trying to go through this a little bit quicker. Jezreel Corrales on the bill, 22 and 1, puts his WBA Super World Super Featherweight title on the line against Alberto Mercado, whose record is 18 and 0. I don't know much about Mercado. Corrales, good fighter. Should be a decent fight, I suppose. But the one I'm really looking forward to on this bill, Demetrius Andre, 24 and 0, takes on. Alantis Fox 23-0 with one draw um, we've had obviously Alantis Fox on the show a couple weeks ago he was um, he's the guy who's six foot four, but he's unbelievably making middleweight and you know Demetrius Andrade obviously going up in weight for this one so both guys undefeated both guys 24 fights under their belt so it should be really good both guys got good amateur pedigrees it's a 12 rounder I absolutely cannot wait for this fight I'm so intrigued man I'm really really intrigued it's it's going to be on HBO, that one. Yeah, that's that's a hard fight to call. I really like Andrade. I really do. I've always really liked Andrade. We had him on the show. He was really charismatic. Um, and, of course, Alantis Fox. I've only just got to know him. I didn't know much about him, but he seems like a really nice guy as well. So, you know, I'm not sure who I want to win, but I just want the right man to win, and I just want the best man to win. So may the best man win. God bless both of you. Moving over now to Sunday, the 22nd of October, this Sunday, and we're coming down to the final couple bills now. Uh, one fight to mention in the Star Casino in Sydney, New South Wales, Australia. 
Um, who's on this bill? Sakio Bika, former world champion. Boy, oh boy, I didn't even know he was still fighting. Yeah, Sakio Bika, 33 and 7 with three draws. Fights for the vacant WBC International Silver Super Middleweight title against Gerd Ajetovic, whose record's 31 and 16 with one draw. Hopefully, Sakio Bika can roll back the clock and pick up the W there. Also on this bill, Tim Tzu is on the bill. That is the son of Costa Zhu. Of course, the uh, the Ricky Hatton fans will remember him. The sort of son of Costa Zhu, Tim Tzu here. He's actually. Um, I've seen quite a few clips of him on the bag and stuff. He looks quite exciting. His record 6-0 at the moment. I wasn't even aware that he'd had that many fights. I thought he was probably only 1-0 or 2-0, but he's 6-0. He fights for the vacant WBC Asian Boxing Council Continental Super Welterweight title. That's a mouthful there. He takes on Wade Ryan, who's 14-5 in a 10-rounder there. That's it from Australia. Now moving over to the final bill to mention. I didn't even know it was happening this week. Otherwise, I would have probably got the guy on this week's show. Um, we will hopefully speak to him next week um, we will now go over to Kokujikan in Tokyo Japan it's going to be on ESPN2 in the US obviously um, this is Tekken Promotions along with top rank Bob Arum uh, the one fight to mention on this bill for me even though it's a triple world title card, Ken Shiro's on the bill defending his title, Daigo Higa's on the bill defending his world title, but I'm going to actually talk about the fight that we have here. Hassan and Dam, 36-2, defends his WBA world middleweight title against Ryoto Murata, 12-1. Of course, he was 12-0, but he lost his 0-2 Hassan and Dam in the last fight, which was also in Japan. A lot of people were really angry with the result, apparently. Hassan and Dam was really lucky to get it. Um, you know, he's a great guy, Hassan and Dam. If you've listened to this show a few times, you've probably heard him on the show before. He's a lovely, lovely fella. I wish him all the very best. Of course, he's not very happy with the fact that he's kind of been treated like you know, it's his fault that he got the decision. He believes he won. He believes he's the rightful winner. It's not his fault. You can't blame him. The judges saw him winning, and hopefully he can pull off the win here and do it a little bit more clearly so people can't moan this time around. That's what his goal is. His record, 36-2. and Hopefully, this time next week, it will be 37-2. and And Ryota Morata, of course, a really good, you know, a really good um, amateur he will be looking to right the wrong. So it's a really interesting fight, that one at middleweight, of course. But all the very best to my man, Hassan and Dam, a lovely, lovely fella. And that's really it from the preview. And we've done the news, we've done the reviews, we've done the previews. We brought you guest number one, and we will now bring you, just before we wrap up part two, guest number two. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated middleweight contender, Mr. Lewis Arias. Lewis, once again, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, man. Appreciate you guys having me again. It's always a pleasure with you, my friend. So, Lewis, we spoke to you last after your last fight. A fantastic win for yourself. Now, of course, you're taking on Daniel Jacobs on November the 11th in New York on HBO. What do you make of Daniel Jacobs as a person and Daniel Jacobs as a fighter, Lewis? Um, as a person, you know, I think he's a great guy. You know, he has a great story. You know, he's overcame a lot in his career. He's gotten himself to the top of the sport. He's fought on HBO pay-per-view. He's fought on, you know, big networks. So, you know, he's he's doing his thing, you know. But as a fighter, you know, I just I go by the facts, you know. Uh, he's never been a world champion. He's a good, solid contender, and he's a good name, you know. But is he unbeatable? No, he's already been beat. He's already been dropped. He's already been knocked out. 
So for an undefeated up-and-coming guy like me, I should be able to beat a world, former world title challenger, you know? These are the type of fighters that I need to beat in order to become a world champion. And you say there that he, you know, he hasn't been a world champion. Obviously, we know that he held the WBA regular belt. Is that a belt yeah, that you don't that, consider nah, a real title? No, nah, don't, don't, don't consider that a real belt. I mean, it's a real belt. Don't get me wrong, but it's not a world champion. You can't have two world champions in the same division. That makes no sense. I mean, you can yeah. have interim champions. You can have, you know, regional champions, whatever. But one world champion per division. And everybody knows that, you know, you don't need, you know, specifics and, you know, every, every person knows there should only be one champion per division. Fair point. Fair point. A lot of people at the press conference, watching the press conference, a lot of people, um, both in the USA and the UK thought that you were a little bit disrespectful to him, but surely you know this, that he's going to be, or he should be anyway, the toughest opponent of your life so far. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't disrespectful. I didn't call. I didn't call him out of his name. I didn't disrespect his family. I didn't dis- disrespect his team. I didn't say nothing out of that, that was disrespectful at all. The only thing that I stated was facts. Everything that I said was was a factual statement. I didn't lie about anything. I didn't call him out of his name about anything. Everything that I said is supported by facts. So how can you be disrespectful if you're just simply stating facts? Should I have been screaming at him? And should I have went the way it didn't? I mean, who knows? But I didn't say anything disrespectful. The only thing that I said was was clear facts. Like I said, you can go back and check everything that I said, look it up. I didn't say a lie. I didn't call him out of his name. I simply stated facts. And has Daniel Jacobs, in your opinion, fought a guy like yourself before? If not, what do you bring to the table that he hasn't seen before? He's fought a guy similar, and he's lost. Both the guys that are similar to me, to my style of fighting, He's lost. You know what I mean? He's he's lost to them. He's had trouble. You know, I mean, I just feel like that record is a little, you know, pampered. You know, he just fought a lot of guys that were not going to give him any tough, you know, challenges. And um, But I do still, although he's supposed to be my toughest fighter on paper, I feel like I'm going to be a tough fight for him as well. You know, I'm, I'm young, I'm strong, I'm undefeated, very confident, and I know I belong. So um, November 11th, I'll prove that. And at the press conference, you obviously said, down goes Jacobs. He's been down a couple of times in his career, as we all know. Um, do, you anticipate, do you anticipate he'll touch the canvas once again November 11th? Yeah. You know, unless he just fights defensive and he def- decides to run. I mean, I, I, don't, I see it. You know, like, it's going to be hard for him not to, catch, not to get caught. Like, I'm going to catch his chin. I'm going to hit him hard. I'm going to jump on him. I mean, I guess we'll see, man. You know, if he fights all defensive and, and, and running, then it's going to be hard to put him down when you're running away. But if he, if he decides to sit there and trade, you know, it's a very good chance that, that he gets caught. And the last time we spoke, I know that you told me that you felt you needed a big name next. You've got that here. How happy are you to get this opportunity to fight a name like him? And also, if you win this fight, you know, how, how good will it do your career as well? Um, you know, I'm very happy to just, you know, even be simply approved to be a main event on HBO. You know, like even getting to this level is hard. You know, even getting to the platform is very hard. You know, not a lot of fighters, you know, have even got to the platform. So it, it, it's truly a blessing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, my career hasn't been the best, you know, but I kept, I kept at it. I kept, I kept winning. I kept fighting. 
and and now I'm here. You know, it's all about timing, and I think this is a perfect time. You know what I mean? Like I said, like you said, if I win, I already get in the mix. But if I come out there November 11 and I knock Jack Daniel Jacobs out, I, I become a star and the number one contender overnight. So I obviously know the type of opportunity this is, and um, I'm ready for it. You know, and, and I'm happy that that that, um, that I'm here. And you know, you say there that um, you know you're, you're happy for the opportunity. You're happy to be approved as a main event. You you've really done things the hard way. I'm not just saying that because you're here, but obviously yeah. we know you were with Floyd. Floyd, you know, Floyd ended the contract with you. You've had it hard, yeah. but finally, I, I feel you're getting what you deserve here. I'm I'm very pleased for you. I'm not just saying that because you're yeah. on the phone. Yeah, no, I mean you can go look at you can go look at my records. Go look at my records. Go look at the opponents I fought, their records, their weights. And go see how hard it really has been. You know what I mean? Like, I've I've been fighting tough, tough opponents. I took tough fights early in my career. You know, I'm I'm, I'm 4-0 fighting guys with 30, you know, 20-some fights. You know, 10-0 fighting guys with 20 knockouts. So, like, I haven't been babied. I haven't been pampered, you know. I haven't got to fight an old veteran guy on main event national television. You know, I've had to come the hard way. I've had to fight my way to here, and it'll it'll show November 11, you know, that I, I I fought my way to get that opportunity, and I'll be ready. Yeah, because a lot of people, like I say, that don't know the story. It's uh, as you say again, like you know, you said you haven't had the greatest of careers, but it's not your fault. It hasn't been your fault. It's just simply been, you know, a bit the of bad business. luck outside the ring. I think. Yeah, the business. Yeah. You, you, you're nailing that. Yeah, that's that's a hundred percent true. Now, obviously, Daniel Jacobs is now being promoted by UK's Eddie Hearn. Over here, some people like him, some people dislike him. What are the Americans thinking of Eddie Hearn? Actually, I heard, to be honest, I heard a lot of people in, in England don't like him. But um, <laughs> it happens, you know. Uh, I think Eddie Hearn, you know, I think he's trying to do something good for the sport. I mean, um, you know, he's coming to America. I, I mean, we all know why he really is coming to America. But this fight, you know, will be broadcasted over in England, all over Europe, you know, because of Eddie Hearn. You know, like, Eddie Hearn, you know, he, he got a couple moves that he can make, and he can put back boxing on a platform for Americans that hasn't really been put before. You know, how many HBO main event fights have been shown live on England? You know, not all of them, but from an English promoter. I mean, I, I think he got a couple things up his sleeve that he could probably put together. Um, I guess we're going to have to wait and see how uh, how everything plays out with his November card, you know, but but I see I see his vision, you know, and it's and it's you know, if everything goes, you know, accordingly, he could he could definitely make some moves. And he has also been quoted, this is Eddie Hearn saying this, he actually said that Daniel Jacobs, in his opinion, is, is possibly the number one middleweight in the world. Now, a lot of people believe Danny Jacobs should have got the decision against, against Triple G, and I think Triple G, we all kind of feel, is the number one. So if you gave that fight to Danny Jacobs, then you'd probably say he's the number one. We haven't spoke since that fight. What did you make of that fight? Do you think Jacob should have won? He did not win that fight. No, he did not win that fight. Like, every, everyone is just, you know, everyone thought he was going to get knocked out. So, because he didn't get knocked out, you know what I mean, that gave him a lot. Because he was able to survive 12 rounds, that's extra points. Because he was able to hit Triple G with a couple shots and use his athleticism to make Triple G not look as good, you know, that helped him out a lot. But he did not win that fight. You can't win a championship fight moving backwards for 12 rounds. You can't beat a champion with three three belts 
running away from him, picking your shots. You know what I mean? Like, real fighters know, you know, like, he wasn't really trying to fight Triple G. As soon as he got hit in the mouth, man, he, he got on that bike. You know, you and can't get credit for going on that bike and then just stopping and throwing a couple, you know, slapping quick punches, looking good, looking fast, and then moving around again. Like, you know, I didn't think he won the fight. Triple G clearly won the fight. He did put up a good fight. It was a great fight. But the champion won that fight. Yeah, I think it was pretty close, but I, I definitely had it to Golovkin. Um, also, Golovkin, again, was in a, a really close fight last month. How did you have the Canelo-Golovkin fight? It's another good fight. You know, I had Triple G winning the fight, though. Uh, more aggressive, you know, uh, the champion. Once again, the champion. You have to clearly beat the champion. You know, but it was a good close fight. And, you know, I'm not mad at the draw. But just like everyone else, everyone's just raising their eyebrows at the one scorecard. If that one scorecard would have been 115-113, you know, no one would be complaining about the fight. You know, but the rematch makes sense. It's great for the sport. It was a great fight. They were going at it toe-to-toe, and um, the rematch would be just as good. We certainly hope so. And now I'm going to throw this question at you completely uh, unexpected. I'm just going to give you no warning, throw it straight on you. This week, we see a junior middleweight world champion move up to middleweight. He's invading the division. That, of course, is Demetrius Andrade. He's taking on, in his first fight, Alantis Fox. That's a guy who's about six foot four. It's unbelievable that he makes middleweight. Both men undefeated. Have you got any kind of opinion on that fight at all? Do you know both guys well? I mean, I know both guys. I think that fight's going to be a sloppy fight. You know, I see that Demetrius Andrade doesn't have a choice but to make moves and have to move up and wait and, and do all this extra stuff. So, But to be honest, it's going to be a sloppy fight, ugly fight. But, you know, good luck to Andrade. <laughs> and good luck to both of the guys. You know, I mean, I, I think it's, just, it's going to be a bad style matchup. You'll see. Okay, we certainly will, we certainly will. Right, I'm out of questions. Anything you want to tell our listeners at all before we let you go, Lewis? No, no, no. Just to, to all the UK fans, you know, uh, appreciate all the support to everyone who's listening, who's been supporting me, appreciate the support. I urge everyone to really do their homework prior to picking and choosing who's going to win this fight. Like, if you really go back and do your homework on who Luis Arias is and what I've accomplished and what I've done, who i fought and how I beat them, you'll see that. This is really a 50-50 fight. So, look, like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to shocking the world in November, and, and, and I'll be ready. Okay, Lewis, it's always great talking with you, my friend. You know that. We wish you the best of luck for November the 11th. Thank you for your time, and we'll speak again very soon. All right, thank you. Okay, and that wraps up episode 105 of the Box Hard Podcast. It's been another informative show, I'd like to think. We were also joined by another fresh face and also a man that our listeners know very well on this show. Those men, of course, the exciting heavyweight silver medalist Joe Joyce and the undefeated and super confident middleweight contender Luis Cuba Arias. You, the listeners, are now in the lead on the Prediction League, so we've took a little break from it in order to regroup. We're going back to the drawing board, as they say. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I, as summer, has been I, as summer. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show, and I almost forgot, actually. We are now on Facebook. We've actually made a page on Facebook called Box Hard Podcast. I've got absolutely no clue how to use it, so please like it or follow it or whatever it's called. Remember to leave us a review on iTunes if you do get the time. Enjoy your weekends, people. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week.